0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every
1: day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another week of Locked On Vikings. As always, I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On. Vikings. You can always find this show on your favorite podcast app, but I encourage you to go check out the Himalaya podcasting app. They put together specially curated playlists just for you based on your interests, and they let you make your own playlists that you can share with your friends. So you can put all your favorite podcasts based on subject in one place. You can do a lot more on that than you can do on classic, just kind of subscribe, and it's a list of your shows podcasting apps. And if you don't like podcasting apps in general... You can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings, and it'll always take you right to the most recent episode, especially handy if you listen in the car and you don't want to be looking at your phone. So today... Over the weekend, there was uh, at least one report of news since last time we talked, so we can talk about that, and then we will continue with our 90-man series, where we go deep into the backgrounds and the upbringings of every single man on the Vikings, where they came from, and what they have to gain or lose in the preseason. But first, a report of sorts, something at least worth keeping an eye on. Uh, Chris Thomason of the Pioneer Press reported that Stephen Weatherly and the Vikings are in talks for an extension, and thinking about it, that makes a lot of sense to do right now. We kind of talked about this when we covered Stephen Weatherly for the 90 Man series, go listen to that episode, but he's entering kind of a nebulous season, and at the end of it, his career outlook is probably going to look different than it does right now because we'll just have some questions answered but for as many outcomes as Steven Weatherly represents and i think i've talked about this at length in another episode that every player represents a, a range of outcomes this time of year they could things could go poorly and things could go well and there's a range to that and that's kind of how you have to look at that player for weatherly a lot of those outcomes mean he would be more expensive to retain next year and very few of the, uh, those outcomes mean you're not going to want to retain him so there's not a lot of risk like, Stephen Weatherly, at worst, is still a good rotational player that you want on your team, and at best is a starting quality defensive end that, that necessitates a market value extension. He does not necessitate a market value extension right now, only if, you know, he has a really good season and he, you know, starts over Everson Griffin because Everson gets hurt or, like, can't play or whatever. Like, that situation is not one where you want to be sitting there going, oh, crap, now we have to pay, you know, Stephen Weatherly a huge market value extension get him locked up now so that if that happens now he's an efficient deal and if you get him locked up now you're getting him locked up as a a rotational defensive end basically and that is going to be a, a much more reasonable deal money wise And if it doesn't work out, his floor is as just a rotational defensive end. And right now you probably pay him a little bit more than you'd want to pay a rotational defensive end, but not horribly so. And that's not a very big punishment if the risk, if the gamble doesn't turn out and a lot of the outcomes are very positive. So right now would be a great time to do it. They have to figure out all kinds of crazy cap issues and we'll see if they can figure it out. So something to keep an eye on, but if they can extend him right now, now would definitely be the most efficient time to do so. But that's really it for Vikings news throughout uh, the weekend, a a weekend filled with beer chugs. I did one myself. Go check out my Twitter. Uh, But let's move on. Let's move on to the 90-man series. And today I want to start with somebody who we're all very excited about because he's a brand new addition to the Vikings and potentially the most important acquisition of uh, the the offseason, depending on your perspective. Let's talk about Garrett Bradbury, the center out of NC State first-round draft pick. We talked about when we did all the draft coverage and stuff, because we covered him before the draft and after the Vikings actually drafted him, because we kind of knew, like, that was going to be somebody that the Vikings would target. So he starts out in high school. His, his, like, main passion is actually baseball. He plays catcher. He's a big Yankees fan. And, and he, want, he, like, dreams of playing in the MLB, and, like, that is his whole thing. And he actually talks about how, eventually, down the road, it helps him call protections, because as the catcher, you're calling pitches, and you're, like, engaging in that kind of chess match with the batter of, like, you know, throw a curveball, throw a fastball, etc., but as many high school athletes do, he plays an extra sport, he plays football, he plays a little bit of tight end and defensive end, and ends up actually getting recruited at that position. And there's a whole bunch of stories where somebody, like, plays one thing in high school and then, you know, he, they get into college and, and the coach says, ah, I think you're going to be better at this and you're going to redshirt a year, and then they switch positions and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, for all the stories we're telling, they're the ones where it worked out because they made it to the NFL. And for Garrett Bradbury, this is going to be another one of those stories, but... Thankfully, we get a bit of a lens inside that conversation because Garrett Bradbury was a higher profile player, and therefore people actually interview him about this stuff. So he actually redshirts a year as a tight end, and then his coach comes to him and, he says, and says, hey, listen, we need help on the offensive line, and would, would, do you want to play offensive line? And Garrett Bradbury says, no, I don't want to. I, I don't want to do the unglamorous work. I don't want to have to gain the weight. I don't Like, there's a lot of reasons to not want to go from a pass-catching tight end, who's probably a pretty good blocker for a tight end, and you know, getting a a little bit more glory and getting your name out there and, you know, racking up stats and stuff versus, like, playing offensive line and largely being forgotten amidst the cloud of dust that that encompasses most plays. So he says no, and then sometime later his coach says, hey, listen, you're playing guard, and I'm not asking you anymore. You're going to play guard, you're going to put on weight, and you're going to be an offensive lineman now and he turns out to be pretty good at it and he plays guard for a little bit and then their center graduates so they need him to move to center where he has to learn like new stuff again and he like was just getting it down at guard and then he ends up moving to center and he ends up actually like winning the Remington Award which is this the award that they give out to like the best college center in the nation and this is where he talks about how like yeah you know playing catcher in high school like helped me kind of think strategically and think about you know and like pay attention to the mental aspect of the game and stuff but he still has a lot to learn because he's only been playing center for so long, and that does end up like turning out to be a thing in his in his draft stock, and I'm actually gonna be super curious to to see like how well he does adapt to the NFL speed of that, like, mental side of the game, especially just because of all the context surrounding it. So, from OTAs to quotes from coaches, to ju- it's like not really a secret anymore that, that Garrett Bradbury is going to start at center and he's kicked Pat Elfline over to guard. He actually went on the uh, Purple for the Win podcast with Andy Carlson and talked to him and, and talked about how, like, Brett Jones has been really helpful to him and, like, how everybody in the room is, you know, bringing up the rookies and stuff. And this is something that happens all the time uh, in, in the Vikings locker room. It's something that I documented personally like, in a lot of detail when I was there uh, last year. But, you know, I still never get tired of hearing about it. It it makes me really happy. And now with his weight where it's supposed to be and all the opportunity in the world, it's time for Garrett Bradbury to really show us what he's made of. And I think over the next two or three years, for better or worse, we are going to see exactly how good Garrett Bradbury is capable of being. Barring injury, there's really not a lot in his way like there are for some of the other players on the roster. And that's a really, really nice thing, both for the Vikings and for Bradbury. So I'm going to step away to an ad break. And when I come back, we will keep on telling the stories of players on the 90 man roster. I will see you all in a second.
0: Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the lockdown podcast network in this crazy, unprecedented and unnerving time. I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors, over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code MBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash per is offering fifteen percent off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast dot slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast dot slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing.
1: All right, welcome back. So now let's talk about another one of the quarterbacks. Uh, no, it's not Kirk Cousins, it's Jake Browning! He is the second-to-last quarterback that we haven't talked about yet, I'm saving Kirk Cousins for last. And by and large, looking into Jake Browning's story, it's a really wholesome one. It's, it's one that is has a lot of positivity all over the place. And it starts with him in the backyard, that like classic suburban trope of like him playing catch with his dad. His dad, Ed Browning, played quarterback at Oregon State, and I believe was pretty good there. So obviously, you know, he has a son, and he's like, I'm teaching this kid how to play quarterback. So from, like, an early age, he's basically just being, like, hand-carved by his father to be, like, the picture-perfect quarterback and be humble, and here's how you read a defense, and here's how you, like, throw the ball right and stuff. So when he actually ends up getting into football and he gets into high school football, he is really, really good at playing quarterback. It is like destiny. He gets into his first game, and he throws 10 touchdowns, and he's immediately on the map as, like, a, a statewide hero, in Northern California. There's a great story, uh, it, I'll link all this in the show notes, but there's a great story about like him you know, beating the crap out of somebody, and then players from that other team will like come just shake his hand, because he is the great Jake Browning, this crazy high school prospect, uh, and he ends up at the Washington Huskies, which is a really, really big get for them. So the, the Washington uh, University of Washington had a, a really, really rough stretch before Jake Browning, and when Jake Browning comes in, he was seen as a bit of a savior. And, and I want to pause at this moment and just kind of get to know him, because this this is a moment where he is held up. He's put on very much put on a pedestal. Like he is this golden boy, you know, quarterback, like raised by, you know, football in his blood, high pedigree type guy with all the stats in the world. So coming out of high school, he's like revered and he is a star. But if you actually look at any interviews and if you listen to the way that people, like, talk about him, he's the most humble dude in the world. And there's a bunch of moments that, like, matter to him a lot, and I think I'd kind of rather focus on those. For one, when he's 16, his parents have a daughter, so he has a two-year-old sister that—and and the two of them are just, like, inseparable. He uh, he carries her around and, and, like, he does interviews with her, like, crawling all over him and stuff— and you know his parents talk about it like I, I think he's gonna miss the baby more than he's gonna miss us. And so from that he takes like a lot of you know inspiration and and that's kind of a, a big motivator for him is like you know do it so it's for his sister. And there's all kinds of talk about how like he is not he doesn't act like he's you know the star. And of course every like parent and coach and everything is gonna speak glowingly about this kid because they all love him. But it seems like there's a kind of like oblivious humility to it. I guess is the way that I'll uh, the way that I'll put it like, a very, you know, laid-back personality that can be a little bit infectious in in locker rooms. You know, the kind of thing that, like if, if things are going poorly or if you're in a big situation, you know, the, the coolest guy in, in the huddle is the quarterback. Like that's going to rub off on everybody. And everybody's just going to be a little bit calmer during that situation for it. It kind of reminds me not to make a completely ridiculous (laughs) comparison, but it kind of reminds me of that. Like, is that John Candy moment from Joe Montana in the Super Bowl? Just that moment that lets everybody know that like, he's got this. And I think he does like kind of have that that laid-back thing, and that also comes from his father. Everybody who has talked or, to or met both of them says it's like, oh, it's a spitting image. And so when he joins the Huskies, a, a program that had been struggling for more than a decade, there is, like, palpable excitement from everybody on the roster, and there's a story like DMs all of the players on Twitter, like, alright, we're gonna change this program, we're gonna be, like, and, and they do, largely, like, Washington goes from kind of a doormat team, a forgettable program, to an actual contender, and by 2016, they're in the Peach Bowl with none other than Alex Alabama and this is like a big stage moment for a guy who is tailor-made to be the quarterback on the big stage everything that has come up to this moment has has been leading him here. His, his from his dad's tutelage to all of the you know the personality pieces into just his like natural leadership and everything to exciting the whole washington huskies things and in 2016 it's jake browning and the washington huskies versus the alabama crimson tide and they get stomped 7 to 24 is the final score they lose and things are never really the same from there Washington continues to struggle, and by Jake Browning's senior year, they actually do have another pretty good season, which I'll get to in a second, but by and large, that might have been Jake Browning's peak, as the star quarterback who resurrected a franchise, bringing them toe-to-toe with the likes of the Alabama Crimson Tide. But it doesn't go well, and now it becomes a story of a guy looking for redemption, looking to reclaim the glory of being put on on that pedestal. So he continues on for a couple more years at Washington, being still the golden boy, still the quarterback. He didn't play well in that bowl game through a couple interceptions, but he's still the guy. But after that fateful bowl, peach bowl loss, he loses John Ross. He loses Dante Pettis, two of his best weapons on the year. And then suddenly nitpicks about, or not nitpicks, but genu- genuine issues about his play, his arm strength, his decision-making start to come into focus. And at that greater level of competition, the greater expectations, when you're now like a premier college quarterback, he doesn't quite live up to it and and especially when being compared to quarterbacks that end up getting drafted those years he just doesn't seem to be up to snuff and it even goes so far as during the 2018 season he actually gets benched during a game and so how far we've fallen from that like golden boy reputation you know from the high school idyllic star that people would like look up to and opposing players would like you know fall over themselves for the chance to meet after a game to a guy that is kind of a scapegoat and who has to come out Uh, in press conferences after losses and be like, yeah, no, it's my fault. I need to be better and, like, give those, like, really uncomfortable quotes. Most of the NFL draft people at this point are writing him off as like, nah, he's not going to make it in the NFL, you know, he hasn't turned out the way we thought he would turn out. And so, with a chip on his shoulder, fresh off of benching, he comes in to finish out the season, and he finishes the season really strong. And the Washington Huskies that year actually have, like, a pretty good year, and they end up in the Rose Bowl of all places against Ohio State. And so, in this moment, kind of a last chance for Browning, a chance to prove... That his pedigree and his his talent is not a, a myth. The, the chance to kind of prove that he didn't peak. In that season that culminated in the Rose Bowl lo- or in the Peach Bowl loss to Alabama, a chance to like go out there and beat Dwayne Haskins, a quarterback who is gonna get drafted, and Ohio State, a big blue bud program to really you know, kind of cement Washington's place on the map and set things up for his successor, and, and it's it's kind of his last chance to prove himself on the college stage. And they fall behind 28-3 to start out the game. It just goes disastrously. But they start to mount a comeback. And and in this game, you know, Jake Browning throws a couple of pretty good plays, there are a couple good play designs that end up in touchdowns, and before they know it they've scored they were down seventeen to twenty eight, and before they know it, they they score a touchdown, and it's twenty three to twenty eight, and his last pass in college is a two-point conversion attempt. They don't get the onside kick and Ohio State ends up winning, but at least there was some respect to it, right? And so, you know, maybe you remember how this ended up, but he backs off to pass for the two-point conversion and it's intercepted and almost brought back uh, the other way for more points. They don't get the onside kick and that does it. Ohio State wins and Jake Browning's legacy in Washington ends with a bad two-point conversion interception. And then just like everybody predicted, he doesn't get drafted, but he does get a chance With the vikings probably just based off of that potential and and some of the character stuff that like he's all character and everybody would rave about it all the time he ends up getting uh, a chance with the vikings and now here he sits as kind of the outside man looking into a team that does like to keep three quarterbacks so all you have to do is be better than one of Kyle Sloter or Sean Mannion but that's going to be difficult for Jake Browning, somebody who everybody kind of agreed and NFL teams and draft analysts and the community alike wasn't really cut out for the NFL somebody who was a good good enough to be a college quarterback but is not going to translate to the next level, and so now he still has to work to prove his doubters wrong and, and you know, it's a, it's a much steeper uphill climb to make an NFL roster when you're an undrafted free agent and the, the quarterback room is pretty much set already without you being a part of it than it is to, you know, have a, a comeback opportunity in a college bowl game. So likely, this is where Jake Browning's story ends. Maybe he gets a few other opportunities as a scout team quarterback somewhere, and maybe he has a good preseason, and like Kyle Slaughter, he ends up on somebody else's roster. But that's kind of going to be what it takes. He's going to have to ball out this preseason and and prove to an NFL team that he deserves a, a chance to make them. Otherwise, the story goes like, you know, a kid that was handcrafted to be the perfect quarterback but never lived up to that potential, you know, somebody that that peaked at a time that has passed and somebody who is now just clinging on to a desperate attempt to reclaim that glory. And maybe he isn't as done as I'm making him out to be. He did meet with a, a baseball coach to learn more about like mechanics and torque and stuff. And, and, you know, he seems to be putting in the work to improve his accuracy and to really like, you know, improve as a quarterback. But in any case, we shall see. So I am going to step away to an ad break. And when I come back, we will talk about the next player on the roster. Real quick, I would like to shout out uh, our sponsor for this episode, Grip6 Belts. They make the perfect Father's Day gift. They're lightweight, uh, comfortable, no holes. Grip6.com slash lock, L-O-C-K-E. Don't forget the E. Grip6.com slash lock for a special offer. Thank you guys so much for sponsoring the episode. All right, moving on, let's talk about a player, uh, the running back from the, originally from the Detroit Lions, running back out of Nebraska, Amir Abdullah, famously uh, known for being the guy in Detroit for a while after they took him over the Arizona Cardinals, who wanted him, and we got to see it on All or Nothing that year, they ended up with David Johnson, and that's kind of his reputation around the league, you know, the guy that the Lions took instead of David Johnson. So hopefully I can help you get to know him better I, by the end of this segment. So I want to take you all the way back to his childhood and, and how he was born and everything. He was born to a Muslim father, Kareem, and he is a devout Muslim himself. He, he stops to pray before every practice, and it's like a whole... Huge part of his identity, and you're going to see that come up throughout the course of this story. The other thing that I think kind of defines him is that he has eight older brothers and sisters, all of whom went to college at Southern schools, all graduated, and some even went on to do more schooling. So he has uh, th- there's a lot of pressure, and I think pressure crafts a person, right? There's pressure uh, from from his, the angle of his faith. There's a pressure to be a certain way, to you know, you support certain values. And there's a pressure also when every single one of your older brothers and sisters goes to college, there's a pressure for you to be successful at what you do too. And that pressure, you know, being the youngest of nine and everything, I think that helps give you a window into who Amir Abdullah is and like why he is ultimately successful at football, even though he's way too small to be successful at football. He's like five, nine, and like maybe 200. So as a little kid in like gym class, they're playing this game called flag tag, where you put on a flag football belt and everybody runs around, you have to take other people's flags off. And he, like with. Without fail wins the game every single time. He's just this elusive dude, and just like nobody can get him. So at that point, they're like, okay, you should like probably be your running back. Now, at some point, uh, his grandfather, who was a cold miner, comes down with black lung, and they end up moving to go take care of him. And they move to a not so great neighborhood in Birmingham. And then there's a lot of kind of bad things you have to go through. There's these kind of horrific images of like, you know, being told, having to tell this little kid, like, you have to stay away from the windows because of what's going on outside, and and Amir himself puts it like, yeah, you know, we have the choice to kind of join in all that, and the gangs, and the drugs, and all that, and you could join it, or you could be better. And, you know, the latter is obviously the right choice, but it's also the harder choice. But then this is where those influences come in, where, you know, his older siblings had already gone off and lived successful lives, and uh, there's also his faith to consider, and I think both of those help push him toward making that more difficult, but ultimately better decision. And then in 2001, he has to go be in, you know, the, the pits of southern Alabama. He has to be a Muslim right after 9-11. And that's going to cause people to look at him differently. And, and that's something that he just kind of has to deal with, especially in, you know, the place and time where he lives. But really anywhere in the United States, there's going to be kind of a stigma. There's a story about, you know, th- this kid like trash talking him during a basketball game, you know, saying like, oh, where's your turban? You know, kids like bullying him for it. And that's a big part of why he turns to football, because he's really, really good at it, and it's very hard to bully the kid that just scored a touchdown on you. But because it's difficult to be social in this particular time in his life, he's a little shy too, he's a little awkward, and so he buries his nose in Harry Potter books. He comes becomes somewhat of a nerd. Uh, if you saw on uh, Twitter, follow Twitter, lo- at Lockdown Vikings, I uh, did a little quiz. This is, Idmir Abdullah is the answer to that. He has a quote where he, like, always has on him a, like, ready pack. For if the zombie apocalypse hit, you know, with with some, like, beef jerky and vital supplies and stuff, he has, like, a go-bag for the apocalypse, because he's just enough of a nerd like that. And I don't think he's the only player on the Vikings that's like that, but don't quote me. So throughout high school, he's dominating, and he's, you know, fighting the perception of, like, being a, a Muslim player with a very Muslim name, you know, Abdullah... And fighting all the stigma that goes with that. And he's also fighting being a football player that's tiny. That's like 5'9". I mean, when he first starts getting the attention of people, he's like 5'3", five, 5'4". Five, he hasn't even fully, like, grown up yet. And so it's, like, difficult for him to kind of stand out. So he doesn't get the, the offers from all the same big-time college, like, Southern colleges that all of his siblings went to. You know, he had a sibling that went to Auburn, one that went to Alabama, one that, you know, went to Texas. And, and he doesn't get offers from those schools. But he does finally end up at Nebraska, where his coach... Is a guy by the name of Ron Brown And Ron Brown is a devout Christian And there is this weird like Odd couple thing that goes on between them where they find a a bit of a camaraderie, and I think it's beautiful. They find, like, a a camaraderie between their faiths, even though their faiths are different, and they're always asked about it, and there's all kinds of articles where you can tell the reporter was, like, trying to stir something, trying to be like, you know, well, is there a problem? Because if, like, your faith and his, I mean, he writes, like, Bible verses on the, on the whiteboard and stuff, and, and, you know, Amir Abdullah, like, prays before every game in the locker room, and, like, face east and, like, do the, the proper Muslim prayer every day, and you can kind of tell that journalists try to stir it up, but every time, you know, you see one of the, Two people asked about it, they go, Hey, he has his faith and I have mine, and we respect each other for it. And they actually have like a really strong relationship to the point where, like, they would, you know, call each other at at night when they have a problem. Like, he could call, you know, and a lot of players have that relationship with their coach where it's, you know, middle of the night and they're having a problem and they can call up the coach and like get advice and stuff. And they kind of have this, this like trusting relationship. So at the time, he's buried on the depth chart behind one Rex Burkhead, who ends up, you know, having a nice career in the NFL. He's at Nebraska at the time, and so Amir Abdullah doesn't really get anything. He's fourth on the depth chart because he just got there, and there's a couple other guys over there that are going to, like, get the dues before him. But Amir Abdullah kind of leapfrogs those two guys, and in, like, camp position battles and stuff, he ends up taking over, and he's the running back in Nebraska for, like, a long time. And those two guys actually end up transferring out of the schools because they can't get carries away from Amir Abdullah. And, you know, and he'll never get away from his size, and he never had, so he's... His draft stock after Nebraska still takes a big hit from that. And he has a little bit of a fumble problem too. But by and large, he's the kind of guy that like all of, you know, this is a, a quote from Ron Brown, his coach, who's like, yeah, he didn't get the memo that he's small. He'll, he'll fight a grizzly bear with a pocket knife. And so after a long and storied career at Nebraska, he declares for the draft. He ends up going, I think, in the third round to the Lions, famously over David Johnson. That whole moment happens, and then he's the running back for the Lions for a while. And he gets to, you know, share the backfield with Joyke Bell, and, and from there, he kind of tapers off. And his reputation league-wide is not really as a superstar anymore. I mean, he's amongst much greater competition. There's Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley's around now. Guys like Amir Abdullah just aren't quite going to get that much attention. And by the end of his rookie contract in in Detroit, where he deals with some injuries and he still deals with the fumble problem and he just still kind of has, like, all kinds of issues, he ends up as uh, a free agent unsigned. And he ends up on the Vikings in the middle of last season when they needed, a, after Mike Hughes was hurt, they needed a kick returner and they needed some help in, in at the running back position. And they end up signing him to the active roster where he plays a lot of special teams and now he's buried. And now Amir Abdullah's uh, situation is sort of nebulous. There's two running back spots that of usually only three that are basically spoken for between uh, Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison. There's not a lot of room for another guy. And so Amir Abdullah is now kind of in a competition with two young bucks in Mike Boone and Rock Thomas that could take that spot from him. Now, if Rock Thomas ends up winning, then there's still a a roster spot for a little while because of his suspension. But by and large, for the majority of the season, it's kind of like three men enter and one leaves. And Amir Abdullah kind of has to be the one that leaves. Because like I've talked about a lot on this show, there's a momentum to things. You know, you're the superstar in Nebraska for a while, but that was a long time ago. And his time in Detroit doesn't really earn him any keep on its own. So if he does fail to make the the 53, if he does get cut, then, you know, you have you like put yourself in the in the eyes of like a coach or a scout or somebody who's who's considering this guy. He just got cut from his second team as a third-round pick. That's abysmal, right? You're supposed to get signed after your rookie contract, not failed not be, you know, failing to make 53-man rosters, and he's now been in the league for a bunch of years. What are you going to unlock that somebody else that, you know, that wouldn't have been unlocked in the last 5 years? And there's a whole bunch of new, young, exciting running backs there to choose from. Why are you going to go with the old guy that appears to be so washed up? It would be a very bad look for him to try to go and get on onto another team after being cut from the Vikings. So there's a lot riding on this. He kind of has to make the team to, like, resurrect his career, or else this is kind of it for Amir Abdullah. But I also think if that does happen, I, I mean, he'll be fine. He is... Somebody who has his faith, who has his family, who's very close with all of the people in his life. And if this is it for him, it was a really good run. You know, a five year NFL career for a running back, that's amazing. Not to mention his. You know, his storied career at Nebraska and all the other things that he went through. I mean, he's somebody that is largely a success story, even if we are nearing the end of that success story. I think it's important not to get wrapped up too much into, like, who he is in the present, but instead appreciate what he has accomplished. Uh, that, that's something that's worth, you know, laying out and just admiring for a little while. That is going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Vikings. I will be back tomorrow with more updates and more players. If there are no updates to fill time, in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find the show on any podcast app you like. Uh, please go check out the Himalaya podcast app; it helps us a lot. And uh, if you don't like podcast apps, you can always just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. Thank you all so much for hanging out and listening. And as always, skull.
0: Hey On Minnesota listeners, this is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for On Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring On Wild to your device every day.